with Chicago. There was a time I went to a hockey game with a white guy and a Mexican guy, and we went to go see the Blackhawks play. And I got pulled aside out of line and patted down because my coat was puffy. And the white guy in the Mexican guy turned around and said, did you just pat him down at a hockey game? Like, first of all, he's the only black guy here. Why would he bring a what? Like, what's wrong with you? I distinctly remember this on my on my football team junior year. I did only play one year of football in high school and it was my junior year. We had an entirely white team. And this, uh, oh, there were actually three, nope, nope, two in my class. There were three black kids in my school. Um, one of them came out and played football. And, you know, I distinctly have this memory of everybody going, we finally have a running back. That was the thought before he tried out. And then, of course, he tried out. He had some some moves. And it was like, of course he does. He's the black guy. Good morning, Rodney. How you doing today? Morning, Keith. Doing really well. How are yeah, you? I'm great, man. Today's a great day for a great day. What's on your mind? Great day for a great day. And also some bone broth. I've been making my own bone broth recently. <laughs> bone broth? Where do you come up with these things? What is bone man, broth? You know, I'm just I'm out here just trying to improve a little bit every day. Bone broth. Uh is is basically like slow cooking, uh beef neck bones, chicken carcasses, like just bones from animals that you eat to get the marrow and cartilage out. It's got a lot of benefits, collagen, I mean, uh, blood builder. It's good stuff, man. Sometimes it tastes it tastes good. Sometimes too. when you have these things, I think that's a good idea. The rest of the time, I think why don't you let me know how that goes next week. Roger. Hi, I'm Keith. And I'm Rodney. And welcome to Under the Skin. This is a podcast where we explore conversations that are difficult to have around the dinner table, like race, politics, uh, sexism. And we're going to expose, evaluate, and and evolve our mindsets and our thinking around all of these topics. And we're going to invite guests in and understand their stories and why they have the perspectives that they do and we're going to learn a lot. And so this is this is our little experiment. And we look forward to you guys coming along on this journey with us. And today, we're going to take a look at our racial experience and how we got to where we are right now. So, Rodney, why don't you walk us through your background a little bit? Just just kind of frame up where you come from. Yeah, yeah. So, so look, I, I grew up in Indiana. I grew up in Indianapolis, Indiana. And I was there for most of my adolescent life. What about you, Keith? Where, where are you coming from? Where, where'd you grow up? I actually, I actually grew up in New Hampshire, um, where I spent most of my adolescent, all of my adolescent life. Uh, and that actually took me out to Indiana from there, um, where I went to Purdue for school and where I actually met you. That's where we met. Exactly. Wait, wait. So hold on. We're, we're, this is like radio basically. So nobody can see us. So maybe we should tell them. So you want you want me to admit that I'm the white guy and right, you're... and I'm the I'm the I'm the black guy. Yeah, we should probably tell them. Okay, okay. okay. I think we just told them. <laughs> um. So so Indiana. So we met in Indiana. 
I diverted and went off to Rochester, New York to get some city experience because obviously New Hampshire and Indiana aren't exactly big city living. And and from there, I wanted to get bigger city living after a year in a rough economy to find a job after college and moved out to Chicago, um, where, where I spent about 10 and a half years to where I am now in Cleveland, where I got an opportunity to start a family and have only been here for about seven months. So wait, let's go. How let's about go. you after Indiana? Uh, after Indiana, real quick. After Indiana, I did, so I also, Purdue, obviously, because of where we met, but then Chicago, was fortunate enough to move to the big old windy city and was there for three and a half years or so before moving out to LA where I've been for almost nine years now. So, so you've lived, you've lived in two, three places, but you also grew up, you started, you were born in Ohio. I was born in Ohio, but I, you know, it was less than a year, so I can't really count it as okay influencing my background that much. So, Growing up in Indianapolis, mm-hmm. right? You grew up in Indiana, so you did grow up in a city. Some some right? would call it that, yeah. Um, no, it's a city. It, yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I like Indianapolis. Uh, yeah. So, and, and as a as a black man in Indianapolis, what was your racial experience growing up? We'll we'll, we'll focus not just your experience growing up because that could be a much longer conversation. What was your racial sure. experience growing up in Indiana? You know, I. I think I was really oblivious to it. I, and it probably has a lot to do with my parents and just the way I was brought up. But I've had, when I think back, there are certain moments that stand out. And one thing that actually did bother me growing up, um, and I, it probably bother anybody, but I, I was a, <laughs> I was an Oreo. I mean, you, before we mentioned who was white and black, you may not have guessed that either one of us was black. Uh, I, I've been told my whole life, like, I don't sound like a black guy, which, even as a young kid, I always, my, my big question back to that was, what does that mean? Like to sound black. And I knew what they meant. Like they wanted me to sound like what they thought black people sound like. Mm. But even as a child, like that was just like, man, that's so messed up. Like, how are you going to tell me? Like, well, I'm the black guy and I'm talking. So that's what a black guy sounds like. And it can also sound like insert. 45 dialects. I mean, it could even sound like an English guy talking because there are English white guys, right? Alternative fact. Uh, (laughs) uh, That's a fair. There there was actually, there was a point I remember having a conversation with my mom about uh, my white voice, like using my white voice strategically. What does that mean? Whether it was in. What what is that? Yeah, like, like my white voice, like sounding prim and proper and enunciating every syllable and just recognizing who my audience was and when it might be beneficial, like when I'm in school or talking to an authority figure, like a police officer or in a job interview to not sound uneducated or to take it another step to sound white on purpose to sound more, and she didn't take it this far. She just threw it out there, and it really confused me at the time. Like I really didn't understand it, but now looking back, I get it because it's the idea. I think, and you know what? I have to ask her. Maybe we bring her on, ask her. But I think it had a lot to do with just sounding disarming and just being like, "Oh, well, you sound just like me. You don't look like me, but you sound like me." So we are friend. We are friend. When I met you, 
you know, you were often referred to as the, we'll say, Uncle Tom, which is a derogatory term for uh, a, a black man who tries to be too white, mm-hmm. right? Now, you weren't necessarily trying to mm-hmm. be too white, but growing up with that with that framework, how did that affect you and mold your experience? Like, that's that's kind of a big thing, right? Well, there's another piece of it, too. Like, I was generally one of, right? Like, so I was one of two or three, if I was lucky, four mm-hmm. other black kids in any give, at any given time. Like, it was never... Generally, I was token. Like, I was the one black guy or one black kid, period, in my class, if not in, you know, several classes. And then there were some times where... and um like in high school, that, that ratio was a little bit better. Like one, like one of, I don't know, 15, like, woo, lots of us. But, um, yeah, I, I think that colored it a lot, right? Cause I, I was just around white people all the time. Wait. And so I do want to go deeper into it, but before we go too far, let, let's talk about New Hampshire. Cause like it's interesting okay. cause I grew up around all pretty much all white people and Indy is pretty much, at least when I grew up, a white and black town. And I would say maybe 20% black at the it's time. It's fairly diverse, right? I mean, mm. our national population is what? 12? Yeah. Right? So um, it's, it's a little above that. You know, compared to where I grew up, you know, I think growing up when I was in New Hampshire, it was about 90, I think it still is about 96.5% white. The entire state. Million, million people, million person population. Um, what's interesting though, talking about this after you just shared that story, I, I come from the other side of that story. Uh, I graduated high school. I actually was just looking through my yearbook the other day because, um, my, we, we found it and after doing some cleaning and I went through and I think there was one Filipino that I graduated with. There were two, two black students. Uh, they were brother and sister twins. And that was about it from a diversity standpoint. I graduated with 325-ish students. So you're talking about less wow. than 1%. Yeah, just under 1% of that diversity. And I might be missing a few other um, races in there, but mm-hmm. from from an African-American standpoint, there were only two. Less than 1%. Well, and that's, you know, so that's that's an interesting thing, too. Like, generally, when you... All right, so if I say, let's talk about race, like, what is the first thing that pops in your head? Uh, black and white. Black and white. Like, let's talk about yeah. race. And, yeah. Yeah. We, we typically leave out all the others. Definitely something to, to, to bookmark, right? And, and talk about, cause it's, right. it's one of those things. Well, you, you asked about, you asked about diversity in Indianapolis and white and black, like, the black population is higher than I think probably most states in the union that said, it wasn't super diverse. That's the first thing that struck me about being in yeah. LA. When I got here, I think I went to a Costco and I was looking around in the parking lot. I was like, wow, I'm a minority. Like, cause like I didn't even see, like I saw Asian and Latino, no black, no white. Like when I was walking the first, my first, I was like, wow, that's diversity. Cool. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's bookmark LA. Cause we definitely want to get into that. Um, kind of going back to New Hampshire, right? Having such a high white percentage, I didn't really. So you didn't have many, you didn't have many black kids 
in in any in class. Any class. Growing up, um, you know, what's funny is growing up. I remember, I distinctly remember this on my on my football team junior year. I did only play one year of football in high school, and it was my junior year. We had an entirely white team, and this. Um, oh, there were actually three. Nope, nope, two in my class. There were three black kids in my school. Um, one of them came out and played football. And, you know, I distinctly have this memory of everybody going, we finally have a running back. Like that was the first, that was the thought like before he even tried out or anything out. And then of course he tried out. He had some, some moves and it was like, of course he does. He's the black guy. (laughs) So it, so it, it, right. Like self-fulfilling, like it turned yeah, into, and it, and it, and it's one of those things. So growing up in that type of ecosystem, when we first, you know, I've always had this inclusive frame of mind, right? This idea that, Hey, no, no one's, well, New Hampshire is a fairly liberally minded it state. Depends on who you talk. It's interesting to, yeah. because it's like, it's the don't it tread is the on me. Live free or die mentality. And that is oh, live free or die, yeah. how the culture is. So it is, it, it isn't an exclude anybody. It just happens to be very white. It's not very white because everybody wants black people out of the state. It just happens to be very white. I've never dug into why that is, but at the same time, having that perspective never, even though it was very white, I didn't ever have the perspective of, shunning a minority right like Mm -hmm. it was yeah here you are but the thing about it is your stereotypes were exacerbated because you weren't around you know okay black people are more athletic they're faster they're quicker he's going to be a running back right um Mm -hmm. so so it was interesting because and i think about the evolution of me leaving new hampshire having that one of the things that ties into that stereotype point and um you know i'll share a story as i transitioned out was the hip-hop culture right it, just like oh, yeah. any other state the hip-hop culture i mean it was the 90s right i wore my pants below my butt like i you know my mom hated it I, which is funny because that's attributed to hip hop, but that's actually like prison culture no, going into hip hop. But yeah, that, that's anyway. fair, right? But from, from our perspective as a hip hop culture. And at that time, the, the N word with the A at the end was often used and discussed uh, in culture about who can use it. And it's, oh yeah, it's still a, it's still a conversation, it, right? It is still a conversation, but I remember we used to, say it all the time. I actually had one of my close friends at the time. He went to DC for college and he started saying it after he went to DC and he'd say it to me and I'd hear people say it in college. Cause this, I was still in New Hampshire at the time cause I transferred to Purdue and I would start saying it. And then people were just saying it just, Hey, what up? You know, like it were no big what deal. Up, Matt? Yeah. No accountability to it. Right. No accountability. And I left New Hampshire with this, this mindset of race that it really wasn't a thing. Not that we didn't have differences and there weren't white people and black people, but, and not that racism didn't exist, but I didn't really know it existed, right? I didn't really see it. I didn't think about it. Wait, wait. So hold, before you go too deep into that, I'm just, I question. Yeah. 
okay, so you had the, that that culture, and you you and your friends were, you know, what up, my ninja? We'll just radio edit, and and when you got to when we met at Purdue, you pretty much hung out with an all black crew. So, so I want to talk about that. Yeah. And then also like we used to use the N word all the time. Like what up my, what up my ninja? How did, so those two things like, yeah. So I think that's a really good point of the evolution of my racial perspective. Right. So, and since we're, we're going to Indiana where we join, I'll keep on my story here because I, Mm -hmm. you know, definitely want to hear how your evolved, yours evolved into college, but into Chicago in particular. Right. But we'll, let's join the two. So I left New Hampshire with this mindset of racism wasn't really a big deal, right? Like it existed. As in it didn't, oh, okay, it, as it, in it exists. It existed, just... but it was far more subtle. It was, I, I knew it intellectually because we talked about it in school and the difference between overt racism and subtle racism and how it changed from Jim Crow to to, you're like it, it, so you're you at that point you're basically like yeah it exists in Mississippi maybe right like, it exists I don't away know. from me and then I moved to to Indiana so 20 years in New Hampshire you know what up my ninja hey ninja all of that all the time my, I, and maybe let's not exaggerate what all the time is but um, sure it, sure certainly that. And you weren't coming home calling your mom. Then I go to New Hampshire. No, I was not. And then I go to, (laughs) and I go to Purdue and I met you day one and it was instant friendship, right? Because I think that framework of New Hampshire is an inclusive state. It just doesn't have a lot of people, a diverse population. It doesn't mean it's an exclusive state, right? So Having that mentality, it wasn't like I met you and was like, oh, who's this black guy? It was just like, oh, this is a cool dude across the hall and all is good. And didn't really have a framework of racism. Didn't know. I didn't have any experiences with it. I didn't think about it. And then I'll never forget the moment I had my first level of accountability in all of this. And we like to (laughs) share this story. And I'm going to tell this story. Is, you know. Rodney and I, and I'll tell it to, to the audience and another friend of ours, Jarvis, we were sitting around playing Madden. I had been there for like, you, you two were playing. I'm watching. He's the Steelers. I'm sitting behind yeah, you. He's the Steelers. Watching. I'm the Patriots. Cause he always picks the best team <laughs> that year in Madden. He, like always. it's not, a, not about his team. And, and he just, he beat people and it was just always a pleasure when you, you had an opportunity to beat him. And I was sitting on the coffee table or the chest that you used as a coffee table and you two were sitting on the couch and I throw a pass down the, down the sideline, right? Uh, to my receiver and he dropped it and I go shoot ninja catch the ball and froze it's my froze. first moment of accountability in all of this thing because it was the first time I'd ever used that word and actually the last time I've ever used that word in the presence of a black person I count two two and so, so you, you, and at that point we'd known each other probably like three or four months. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe a little longer. I was going to say six months. Okay. We'll say but, six months. And, and Jarvis and I look at each other 
because we've never it's not like we had ever we'd known each other since high school and we had never had this conversation i don't i don't even think this happened in our football locker room but did it i gotta explore that thought but we look at each other and we just bust yeah, it out because sl- you were the last person yeah. in the world we expected to ever ever and ever I say slow that. turned and looked at them and then they started laughing and two things happened in that moment. One, accountability. Don't ever say the word again. And two, I realized I had friends for life. Um, but the second point is less relevant to the conversation. But it was that moment that helped me realize the depths of the words that we use, regardless of who we're, who we're around, right? There, there's potential consequence. The reality of me saying that is you guys could have said, get the hell right. out of my house. Cause I was in your apartment at the time. It could have been awful, right? Right. <laughs> it could have been a fight. It could have right. been get out and look. And, and our response is probably not a typical response. This is us in no way recommending that you try this around some black people. Cause they may not be as tolerant as we would. <laughs> but I think the reality for me, it's so true. And the reality for me was it's like all this time prior, I've been saying this and now all of a sudden I say it and there's a different sentiment behind it in the words that are coming out just based mm-hmm. on the audience. That was a reality check for me that I shouldn't have been saying it up to that point. Uh, and we're not gonna we're not gonna keep going with with the the use of this word. So that was an evolution, and, which is a conversation. Yeah, like because totally it, it's such a big conversation, and and we're not condoning it. Yeah. It's just part of our experience, right? And it's and it's interesting because going back to my Indiana a little bit, like my parents, my parents did not. They never used it. And they were like, you should never say the interesting. Like, just don't. That's bad. Bad word. It's like saying the F word. And that was kind of the, that was the upbringing. Knowing now, didn't know then, but like my dad grew up saying it all the time. Like that was just part of his upbringing. And it's, so there's kind of a, Hey, you know, like we don't, we, we want to raise you differently. And, but then I got to, but see, okay. Also I'm growing up in Indiana. I'm the minority. I'm the white, I'm the one black dude. Right. So who am I going to say it to? So there's really no, I, w- I didn't have so, a black group of friends. So that's black, until, like, college. until college. So how did Purdue, right. this, this for me was a giant moment for my racial perspective going forward as far as college goes. For you, all of a sudden now you have a, 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 a crew of, of black friends that you didn't have before. And I mean, I did in high school. Sort of. But, like yeah it was just a lot smaller right. it was a lot so smaller. how did yeah, that change and your racial perspective i actually wrestled with it because there were moments where i'm just like yeah n-word's cool like we say it. and then the other days like no nah, man i can't say it i was wrestling with myself because then you have the uncle tom piece of it too right how did that well from what what perspective like yes. people thinking that and now you're going into a larger black community well, it's like, and that that brand didn't necessarily go away because some of those people in that community you knew in high school it wasn't more of a trying to act white it's more like oh well rodney sounds white but that was so the brand right like that's what kind of that, like right right but i yeah i mean i think it was I, like I, I guess i haven't really explored like how that affected me in college at that point 
I think this is how it affected affected my experience. At that point, like I, I was comfortable with me, so I was just like, all right, well, either you have a problem with it or you don't. But it didn't affect my ability to make black no, friends. No, it did not. That is very true. In fact, it didn't affect your ability to make a lot of friends since you uh, knew just about everybody. Right. Or yeah. or friends in any yeah. in any group. I actually was probably Van Wilder yeah, dark version at uh, Purdue. Yeah. I think this is a fascinating evolution of your experience as, as, especially as a black man in America is that you haven't, it's not necessarily that you haven't been exposed, but you haven't experienced it, right? You have not experienced what you may have been followed in a store, but you haven't experienced what that's like because you don't pay attention to that. Which, right. Or it just hasn't been so. It, I don't injured, know right? why I didn't notice. I, I mean, I had a cross country coach tell me he, he was we were stretching in high school, and he told us that when he was running cross country, they went out to the barn of one of his coaches in uh, Martinsville, Indiana, which is one of the homes of the KKK, and mm-hmm. they went out to the barn and they were playing around. They shouldn't have been. And they opened a chest and they found a red cloak, which he wasn't sure he was young at the time, but or he was in high school. Yeah, he was in high school. But he's, you know, the red cloak is usually the Grand Dragon of the KKK. And they, and so he thinks that the, the grandfather of the, the coach that he had was a, the Grand Dragon. So, like, I'm hearing these stories. Like, I know my parents wouldn't even let me drive from Indianapolis to IU because you had to cross through Martinsville just because that area is just so known to be and i think that's why i say why i say sheltered right they just they're like all right you're you're just not going to be put in a situation where you're going to get pulled over there or run or have a flat tire or stop and get gas in martinsville because who knows wait wait can i ask you a question before we go to your perspective like in your time in new hampshire and whatnot like had you ever experienced anything racist like any 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 black dudes be like, hey honky, like blah blah blah. Like, does that ever happen to you? Yeah, I mean, there there was a black family that lived down the street, and I think the most racial exposure mm-hmm. to that was, hey, we have a black family down the street. Like, it was obvious, it existed, but it wasn't. I look back on it, wondering how that that had to have been hard for them. But for us, it was just, oh, hey, there's a, there's a black family that lives down the street. And that was the extent of the conversation. Never anything racially profiling. I never saw anything other than the football player, right? And what's interesting on that note, kind of going back to what you were talking about as far as experience being sheltered and not having seen it, I still even after Purdue, despite knowing, hey, these things happen, we had some minor things that may have exposed it, is still this idea of subtle versus overt racism. And I've mm-hmm. heard a lot of stories, and we all have, about uh, feeling followed. And this mindset is, well, how do you really know that person was following you? Or how, how do you really extrapolate racism mm-hmm. from that comment versus it actually being racist, right? And, and that had always been something that was in the back of my mind. And I know it's in the back of a lot of people's mind a lot of times until we were in Chicago together. And I'll never forget that time we went to the club and it was you, me, your current wife, uh, girlfriend at the time and she, another she friend there? of ours. Yes. 
Um, I'm fairly certain she was there. Maybe I'm not remembering it correctly. Maybe I thought it was, it was just like me. Was roommate. I thought it was me, it was you, roommate. roommate, and and uh, it was our roommate at the time. Friend. That's right, because we were and another friend. So we walk up to this club, and Rodney's wearing Timberlands. For those who don't know, those are friend, boots. <laughs> and and our friend is wearing black shoes. And this is a non-posh, wannabe posh club that was just fun to go and dance at. In Lincoln Park, Chicago. And, and so we go up to the door, and they look at us and say, we can't let you in with those shoes on to run. Oh, I thought I thought I you think were already I got in through, like they let, and then found out that you couldn't get in because you were wearing Timberland. So I, I, it was like, what? That doesn't make any sense. So we were all a little bit frustrated, which is funny because my response was, "That's BS." Right. But all right, right, I'll go home and change. Like I'll just you change didn't my shoes. Like I didn't even. It. It, you just kind of accepted it, even though you hadn't really been exposed to it, or at least exposed yourself to these types of experiences over time. And I had never witnessed anything like this. Because what happened next was we walked down the street, Rodney and our friend just changed shoes, and we all got in the club five minutes later. We were like, let's five try this out. Later, yeah, and not even a question. Right in. Didn't even look at our And friend. then after a drink or two, I was just sitting there like, this is something yeah. bull. Like, and I then was, he got really <laughs> mad. I got mad. <laughs> and that was one of those things that truly, for me, opened my eyes to this type of reality. Right. The, the reality that exists with a lot of people and the experiences a lot of black people have and that how crazy that is and how it needs to stop. Right. Like that type of stuff is just outrageous. Right. Like it was like, he just, he just looked at me and went straight to like, okay, how can I exclude you from said yeah. establishment? And like, oh, it's your shoes. And we went there back, we changed his shoes and he didn't even look at him. Along with Chicago, there was a time I went to a hockey game with a white guy and a Mexican guy, and we went to go see the Blackhawks play whomever at the United Center, and I was the third of the three of us, and I got pulled aside out of line and patted down because my coat was puffy. Well, it was Chicago in winter, so it was like it was cold. I don't know, two to Worthy negative of a two, puffy like coat. it was ridiculously cold, and. And the white guy and the Mexican guy turned around and said, did you just pat him down at a hockey game? Like, first of all, he's the only black guy here. Why would he bring a what? Like, what's wrong with you? And I was like, really? Like, I'm getting pat down at a hockey game? Come on. Like, what? That, huh. that frustrated me. They bought me, they bought me dinner. So I calmed down. <laughs> that was nice. They as in my friend. Yeah, yeah, not, not, not the, the United States. Yeah. Did, did that at all change? Because it doesn't seem to me in expo, in just having this conversation that you really see for me, I look at all of these things and it's like, man, I need to be better. I need to be more inclusive. I need to have more accountability. And you kind of have this perspective. It seems like this is just the way it is. I'm going to try to make it better as best I can. But, you know, when this stuff impact happens, it happens. Right. Am I, am I missing the boat? Like kind of the, the, no, I mean, I didn't have any grand epiphany. Like I need to make the world better and rid the world of racism or this, that, either. I was just like, eh. like, and so now I'm curious how all of what we just talked about, what you shared has kind of molded to you today because you have had a fairly unique 
experience of race using air quotes, um, because you haven't necessarily allowed yourself to experience that subtle racism. So now you're here on a podcast talking about race. Why? And how, how does that frame it up for you? So my mindset today is I spend a lot of time with the boys and girls club in Venice. Want to show them that they have options in science and math and art and all of these different areas of their life and that they shouldn't feel limited based on how they look, whether they're Asian or Latino or black. And I'm, I'm at a spot where I want to engage socially where before I just, it was a very limited controlled sphere that I wanted to engage in or not engage in. And I realized that, or in my perspective, a lot of the things that are wrong with the world is partially because we just don't talk about it. And like, we don't sit down with people that have a different view and conversate. Because what I found through all these years, I guess the thing, one of the things that allows me to tolerate is that I know that everybody has a story and I'm willing to ask another question to talk to somebody to figure out why they feel that all black people are running backs or like whatever it is that they understand or think they understand from their upbringing. And I think this, this is an opportunity to go further into that with people that we know and don't know. What about, so you, you Chicago to Cleveland now, you just recently there, but what about your mindset? Like why, why do you care about this at this point in time? Like why are you I here right now? I think it's, it's a fair, similar answer in regards to, I don't know what it is about my desire to do this, but I feel a few things have happened to me over the course of this journey that have exposed my perspective to the realities of categorizations of people. And we categorize, we categorize everything. We simplify as a psychological mechanism, right? We, we, and as a result, we categorize people and I've made judgments over, over my lifetime and just talking about this idea that racism, I know it exists, but does it And it? How do we know it's really racism? And the reality is I've, I've seen it. And what I've, through that journey, I've realized that everybody has a story. Now, does it bring, does their story bring us, like you said, you, you know, some black people who refuse to talk to white people because we just don't get it. Um, they have a story. Uh, you know, people who voted for Trump have a story. People who voted for Hillary have a story. And we may not agree with the actions of today. But understanding the the journey to get you to act today, talk today, be who you are today is so important for me to continue to evolve because I think there is a there is an opportunity for us to be in a common place. Um, and that common place is tolerance, it's understanding, it's patience, it's kindness. And it's just saying, okay, I get it. You did this one thing I don't like. Obviously, there are some limitations to that sentiment. But you did this one thing I don't like. I, I really want to understand who you are before I pass judgment on you as an individual and all people that I perceive to be like you and then ultimately create hate. 
And that's what creates hate or that contributes to hate creation. And I just, I don't know, call me an idealist, call me an optimist. Um, I just think there's opportunity, like you said, through exposed conversation, understanding people and where they come from to come to a common point where we can move forward together, even if we don't always agree on the exact pieces within it. Which, which is ama- amazing. And that, that's what excites me about bringing some guests on because through our 15 years, we've, we've, we've disagreed like on religion, on politics, finances, how to manage money, how the country should manage money, um, social policy. Um, we, we've disagreed on a lot of things, but we could always talk about it. Like that's always, that's been a key piece. And it's brought us to here where we're in a common place where we don't always agree. And I think part of the experiment is trying to figure out how we've been able to do it and get here. Like what's the, what are the underlying pieces that allow to allow us to do that? Cause a lot of people just can't. And maybe, you know, hopefully we can help somebody figure out how they could have a conversation that's really uncomfortable. Maybe maybe they, too, could walk up to somebody one day and say, what is your race? <laughs> um, but this has been... Uh, I, I don't this, recommend this. This has that, been an really awesome don't. conversation. I will say, after some of these discussions, what we are actually going to do is take a couple of days and record a follow-up. Uh, so it gives us some time to process the discussion that we had uh, for the sake of the fact that we're just sharing our personal stories so we can evolve to the next discussion. We're not going to do that this time. Um, but please tune in next time. Yeah, we're going to we'll go a little deeper into something else that gets under the skin and we're going to expose, evaluate and evolve. <laughs>